Thank you for listening to the Better Than Yesterday podcast, hosted by Stark Strength and Conditioning and Stark CrossFit. This podcast is dedicated to CrossFit, nutrition, weightlifting, powerlifting, and helping you to become better than yesterday. To find out more about Stark Strength and Conditioning, check out our website at www.starkstrength.com. Hey, everyone. Um, I'm flying solo on this one. We're going to do a bit of a two-minute drill today. So I ended up getting a bunch of uh, questions from Instagram, from Facebook, and just members asking questions. So I'm kind of excited about this. Uh, I set my trusty clock here for two minutes. So I'm hoping to keep all these answers to two minutes. This is also the first time that we're trying to do this as a YouTube video um, as well as a podcast. So I'm going to try to, to do both of them and... I guess I'll find out afterwards if it works or not. But anyways, so we're going to get right into it. Um, the two-minute drill means there's some questions here that I'm going to answer. I'm going to try to keep it to two minutes, and hopefully um, I can answer your questions with that. So there were some people that were asked not to be named. There were some people that didn't didn't mind if they were named, but um, I'm, I'm just going to go through these and answer them. If you have any other questions for two-minute drills in the future... If you like this podcast, let us know in the show notes. If you don't like it, let us know in the show notes. Um, yeah. Anyways, I'm going to get going with this. So the first question was, <clears throat> how do you get better at swimming and CrossFit? So um, I'm guessing this question is meaning more so like, you know, pool workouts incorporated in CrossFit or whatever. I know there's some people that are going and doing workouts where you're going, you know, doing air squats, doing thrusters, and then jumping in the pool and swimming. So that's how I'm going to answer this one. But two minutes. So my thoughts on this are if you're good at CrossFit already, you know, you don't have any issues with your air squats and your push-ups and, you know, thrusters or whatever you're doing on the deck of the pool and then going and jumping in the pool and swimming – if swimming is your limiter and you're not comfortable in the pool and you're getting your heart rate up and you're getting all worked up, um, jumping in the pool is not going to be relaxing for you. You're going to be stressing about that. So um, if you are you know, pretty fit when it comes to all the exercises that you're hitting on the deck before you jump into the water, you want to try to bring that heart rate down and control it as much as possible. Because if you are anxious about the swim portion and you're going to get that heart rate jacked up and then you're going to go jump in the water, you're just going to be hyperventilating and you're not going to be able to control that breathing, which in the water is not helpful because you get a mouthful of water and you start to choke and, you know, hopefully not drown. But anyways, um, my suggestion for, for that, if you want to get better at swimming and CrossFit, focus on your swimming if you're not a good swimmer. Um, Jordan Troyon uh, won like all the swimming events in the CrossFit Games. He was a collegiate swimmer, and he had good movement outside of the water and even better movement inside the water. So watching him jumping into the water, watching him um, you know, swimming, his stroke and stuff like that, it's just very relaxed. You're trying to get, as a swimmer, as much distance per stroke. I remember when I got a swimming coach, she would always say, finish your stroke. She'd be yelling at me, wonder Wanda Mathers. And, uh, and that means like when you get your hand into the water, you finish your pull so that basically your arm is extended and your hand touches your leg as you finish your, your stroke there. So your arm is straight, and then we bring that elbow up, glide along the water, and then reach in as far as you can. So that's going to give you as much distance per stroke. It's going to help you to stay a little bit more relaxed. You want to think about pulling yourself past the water rather than if you 
damn it, two minutes is up already. Rather than, um, you know, just getting too, too worked up about, you know, being in the water, having that heart rate jacked up, um, spend time doing drill work. So whether it's pushing off the bulkhead and staying underwater and as streamlined as possible, because the further you can get underwater without coming up for a breath of air, you've seen people probably doing the dolphin kick and stuff where they're under the water for a period of time and then pop up, start their first stroke, and then take their first breath. That's ideally what you want to be able to do to get as much distance as possible. Um, it's always interesting seeing people like jump into the water, not dive in, and then they have to try to get momentum going to move forward. Or if they end up pushing off the bulkhead and they have their head and their chest out of the water, and they're basically just crashing along the water just to, uh, um, to try to move forward. But basically you're breaking rather than staying as streamlined as possible, getting those arms out to reaching as much as you can, and then staying as streamlined, uh, under the water for as long as possible. So my suggestion is work on your swimming. If you want to get better at swimming in CrossFit, work on the swimming, work on drills with swimming. Don't just go and swim laps. Um, whether it's finding a coach or someone that can help you. Um, I did hire a coach initially when I wanted to learn how to swim and he was like good at coaching high level swimmers, but not beginner swimmers. So I ended up finding another coach who was awesome and, um, just basically took me to a point that I needed to. So she basically met me at my, my level, my ability level, and then built me up from there, which is exactly what you want to do with any type of coaching or, or programming or CrossFit, uh, anything like that. So finding someone that can meet you where you are and then take you, you know, steps ahead of, uh, of where you are versus, you know, finding someone who doesn't know how to deal with the beginner. Um, but yeah, there's my suggestion for that. Sorry. We went over on that one. I think this is going to be a common theme. Um, what is a better workout spinning or CrossFit? It depends. It depends on what you're looking for. If you are, I know people that do CrossFit consistently, go to a spin class, and they're like, that kicked my ass. They're like drenched. They're sweating. You're doing something you're not used to doing. So if you get, you know, if you're going to spin classes five, six days a week, you're going to get pretty good at spinning. You're still going to sweat a lot, but uh, you're going to be conditioned for that. But you take someone who's been doing spin five, six days a week, who's never done CrossFit, and you get them to come to a CrossFit class, they're going to get crushed. Not to mention not have the, the technique and the ability to move the weights properly or move the bars. But if you take someone who, you know, is good at CrossFit, you know, has the movements down, um, you know, they don't have to be moving crazy heavy weight and stuff like that, but they're very mechanically sound. You can still get them to go into a spin class and push them and uh, they're going to be drenched. They're going to be sucking wind. It's a completely different workout. So if you're doing like a... a you know, 30 minute, 60 minute, 90 minute spin class, and you're not used to doing that, yes, it's going to be, you know, painful, not just on your crotch with all the chafing and stuff like that, but um, it's something that you're not used to. It's going to be, um, you know, hitting, hitting zones that you normally don't hit in workouts. A lot of the CrossFit workouts are, you know, relatively high intensity, and that's dependent on the individual. So, you know, a 70-year-old's intensity is going to be different than a 25-year-old's intensity, um, you know, if they've been d both doing CrossFit for the same amount of time. Um, intensity is relative to the individual and, you know, to your goals. So you don't have to be driving yourself into the ground each and every time you work out. Um, but, you know, what's a better workout? It depends. If you if you like spinning, then, you know, spinning is going to be a, a good workout for you and it's going to help you to, to get better um, at spinning. You know, does it carry over to cycling on the road? 
yes and no, depending on if you know how to shift your gears properly on the road, when to shift, if you're riding in a group, how to draft, um, if you're climbing a hill, if you know how to downshift properly so that you can keep your cadence up and keep spinning. All that stuff is uh, extremely important. So I know people that uh, have gone and bought road bikes and then have don't know how to shift, don't know how to do any of that stuff, but they're, you know, badasses in spin classes. So, um, yeah, I think that's something that, uh, it's, it's a great workout. I'm, you know, my, my background was an endurance athlete. So I've spent a lot of time in the saddle on bikes, used to teach spin classes as well when I worked at the wellness Institute, um, here and there. And, uh, it's great. It's fun. It's a group environment. Um, but, uh, you're, you're definitely not load bearing. You're not squatting. You're not doing anything like that. That's going to help you to, to build muscle, build strength and, um, you know, help you to get stronger and a bit more well-rounded. So it's just going to work that, that cardio aspect of your aerobic and anaerobic system. So, um, you know, is it going to help to build leg strength if you go from not spinning at all to doing some spinning, then yeah, you'll probably gain a bit of leg strength. Is it going to, uh, build leg strength, like someone squatting? Not at all. So, uh, hopefully that answers the, the question. It depends. Went over on that one too. Um, next up, how do you know when you should start CrossFit? Um, I'm assuming this is coming from someone who doesn't do CrossFit yet. Um, I'm going to say anytime, anytime. Um, I've had clients in the past, like one-on-one -on -one training clients that have, you know, they, they want to get fit before they start working with a personal trainer or they want to get fit before starting CrossFit. Oh, I'm not strong enough or I'm not fit enough to do it. If you're, if you're constantly waiting until you get to that point, until you get stronger and fitter, it's, it's, you're never going to get there. Um, and a lot of those people in the past that I've talked to about personal training that wanted to get started on training, uh, never really did start because <coughs> they never did get to that point where they were, you know, strong enough or fit enough to, to work with a trainer, which is completely crazy. I'll say. Um, but yeah, anytime it's, you know, here we get people to start, you know, what, whatever level they're at, whatever age they're at, they work one-on-one -on -one with a coach to learn all the movements and mechanics. Um, you know, go in, check out different places, see where you feel most comfortable, see how they get you started. If it's a place that's going to say we're throwing you right into classes, I would, you know, say thank you and walk out. Um, most places are, are pretty good and have like an on-ramp class. When we started our, our old gym. So we've been around for seven years now. When we started the old gym, um, it was more of like a, Hey, welcome to Stark. Like jump in, you can jump into classes right away. And then, you know, we, we realized the downside to that very quickly and then started doing uh, base camp classes, which was in groups of up to 10 people. Um, we would teach all the movements and mechanics. And now we only do a one-on-one -on -one option or two-on-one option. Um, and that's so that we can modify accordingly for everyone. So we just had Larry and Cecilia join up. Um, they're in their late 60s and they're, uh, they're kicking butt. They're coming to classes. They're, they're doing the best they can have some movement restrictions and stuff like that. But working in that one-on-one -on -one setting with a coach, damn it, I'm losing this thing. Um, working one-on-one -on -one with a coach has been great to, to help them figure out where they are. And even uh, seeing Larry in class today, um, 
we were doing a bit of a snatch complex. So him and Cecilia were doing just a, a hang power snatch, a couple of reps there, and then um, that was it. So just working on that quick turnover and just kind of training themselves to move quicker. So basically, if you're driving and someone pulls out in front of you, you can react to that. You're, you've got some ability to like you know use some of those fast switch muscle fibers and, and challenge that reaction time. And that's what you're doing with the barbell when you're when you're snatching. Um, also, you know, something falls off the table, you go and grab it and reach for it and don't even think about it. If you don't ever train yourself to move quickly, if you don't ever challenge yourself to move quickly, it's going to be very tough. Your body's not going to be used to it. Um, and that motor motor pattern, those, those reactions aren't, that reaction time isn't going to be there. So, um, you know, back to the question, how do you know when you should start? Anytime. Don't, there's no like, oh, you have to have X number of push-ups or pull-ups or be able to walk on your hands to, to be able to start. This is like start anytime. And the sooner you start, the better, because there is a bit of a learning curve to it. You are going to be doing stuff that's new that you're not used to. Um, so yeah, jump into it, find a good gym, test different places out, try usually for uh, gyms will give you like a free class for your first one. So try that out and see if the coaching, the atmosphere, um, and um, what is it, coaching atmosphere and um, the feedback and stuff like that that you're getting. If you feel good about it, awesome, jump in. If you don't, try another place. So next up, that was almost four minutes, damn it. Um, what is the best diet plan to be on? The one that works. Um, if you are bouncing around from diet to diet, I know people in the past, uh, that have jumped from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And unfortunately it has not worked for them. They lose weight while they're doing the, the program and then they gain it all back afterwards. Um, you know, I've, I've always been someone who pushed learning how to eat real food, learning what choices to make, why to choose those foods, um, rather than, uh, you know, just getting a meal plan here, you know, eat this until you get to your goal weight and that's it. Eat your green beans, chicken and rice until you get there. Not a huge fan of that just because it's not sustainable. You're not going to be able to do that. If you teach people, you know, what to do and why to do it, um, they can take that stuff with them rather than just giving them a meal plan that they can, you know, use until they get to their goal weight. And then it's like, well, now what? If you're going out to eat for dinner, um, you know, it, it's just helping people to make those good choices and reminding them, like most people have an idea of what the good choices are. Um, and it's just being consistent with it. So if you can find a plan, like an eating plan that you can stick to and that you're not, you know, constantly hungry on, that you're not... Um, you know, needing to, to binge or anything like that, definitely throw some, some treats in here and there. Um, don't, don't totally, you know, I definitely have sugar in, in my diet here and there. Um, you know, I'm not going to tell myself I can't have something. I'll make sure that I got in, you know, a good workout. Um, if I'm, I know I'm going to have, uh, you know, I wouldn't say a cheat day, but, uh, if I'm, if I'm going to eat less than optimally, if I'm going out somewhere where, you know, food choices might not be the greatest, I'm not going to go and like weigh and measure my food or anything like that. But damn it, I'm going over in this one too. Um, I'm not going to be so strict that it's like, whoa, I'm not going to have ice cream. I'm not going to have cake or anything like that. Um, yeah, I'll still have that stuff, but you know, it's, it's within reason. I'm, you know, you have one piece and, and, you know, maybe a smaller piece and you're good with it rather than having massive, you know, slices of, of cake or pie or 
ice cream, whatever you're going to have. Um, so yeah, the best plan to be on is the one that you can stick to, the one that you feel good on, the one that you feel full on, the one that you don't feel like binging on or anything like that. Um, and just to add to that, uh, cheat days, if you're, if you're going to have a cheat day, um, depending on where you are on caloric intake throughout the week, you could totally mess up your, uh, your, your whole, um, diet. If you're trying to lose weight or whatever, and you're good Monday through Saturday, and then Sunday is a crazy day and you take in like it's cheat day. So you're going to have 6,000 calories. You could actually be throwing that whole week of good work out. So not a huge fan of that. I would suggest instead of having a cheat day, having like, you know, maybe a couple days a week where you do have like a, an extra, you know, treat, whether it is like a dessert or something like that. So anyways, just something to think about. Um, how do I gain mass and strength quickly? Well, the opposite of, you know, an eating plan where you're going to lose weight, you want to take in, um, extra calories. So, uh, you want to be over in the number of calories that you're taking in throughout the day than, than what you're burning. So if you're burning 3000 calories a day, you want to take in maybe 3,500 or so. Um, it shouldn't be an excessive amount. Like you don't want to take in 6,000. If you're, if you're trying to gain weight, this is something that should be done, you know, slowly and over time versus like, Oh shoot. I'm try I got football tryouts in a month, month and a half, and I got to put on a bit of mass. Um, so if you are needing to, to increase that strength, um, you know, strength training, I would say like six days a week, um, <clears throat> doing some, whether it is CrossFit or powerlifting or um, some bodybuilding type exercises, just to kind of gain that, that, that mass um, is going to be helpful, making sure that after your workouts, you're taking in uh, Calories, whether it is in a shake form or having food readily available, which is always the first choice and best option. Um, I had a training client years ago who he would uh, he would gain he would gain weight over winter, but he worked in the construction industry, and he was doing concrete work in summer, and he was literally just like wasting away, and uh, his body was using muscle tissue for fuel. He was getting so skinny and so lean. He'd be up and on the job site uh, before 6 a.m., and he'd be finishing at sometimes 8, 9 o'clock at night. So he's moving all day, doing, like, pretty strenuous work. And um, we ended up looking at what he was taking in throughout the day, and it was only a couple thousand calories. So over several weeks and months, we ended up increasing that and had him on some mass gainer shakes and stuff like that, and we were actually able to maintain his weight at around 6,000 calories a day. So this took time. It wasn't like, oh, you start off at 2,000 calories and then jump up to 6,000 right away. It was done over weeks and a couple months even um, to get him up there. And he was having more energy. He was sleeping better. He was recovering better. wasn't getting injured. injured. But uh, it, it takes time to, to work on that and figure that out. And the best way to figure that out is if you're tracking it. If you have someone who's, I'm just going to stop this clock because this isn't working well. <clears throat> if you have someone who's willing to do the work and his wife ended up like measuring and weighing his meals out and stuff like that. So we knew exactly what he was taking in. If he ended up getting anything on the, the job site, he was letting us know. So we were able to kind of adjust for that. But uh, it was, if you can't track it, you can't attack it. So um, that's a, a, a 
good way to be able to figure out where you're at um, before making any big changes and deciding if you need to to make any uh, huge huge changes or not. And uh, you know, it's it's got to be gradual, just like weight loss. If you're trying to gain weight, it's making sure that you're eating the right things and taking in enough calories to put you in the right direction. <clears throat> How many days a week should I work out? Depends on your goals. Um, I've got a couple clients now that are mid-70s that are working out once a week. And, you know, their first week, they, uh, uh, they ended up, they were really sore. Uh, it was their first time back in quite a while. And uh, after that, you know, just training them once a week and going for a couple walks, um, throughout the week before our next training session the following week they were they were they're not getting as sore their legs are okay um you know shoulders back all that kind of stuff has been good um since they are in their mid 70s we spent the better part of well not the better part of the training session but i would say at least the first 20 25 minutes warming up doing some mobility trying to get some range of motion back in the shoulders and hips and stuff like that um Depends on your goals, though. Like, if you're someone who's wanting to be highly competitive in, say, the sport of CrossFit, you might have to do, um, you know, six days a week of training or, um, like, multiple workouts a day. So this could be two to three workouts a day or one session of, you know, two to three hours, depending on where you are in your, you know, training age. If you have a lot of deficiencies, if you're needing to work on gymnastic skills, if you're needing to gain... Um, some mass and hypertrophy to, you know, build your shoulders up for strict um, handstand push-ups and stuff like that. Um, if you've got, you know, longer limbs, so legs and arms, you have to work a lot harder to get stronger to be able to keep up with some of those people with, say, shorter arms and legs um, to do those handstand push-ups or, like, pistols and stuff like that. So typically people who are a little bit taller and have longer limb lengths need to have, uh, need to put in that more work to, to build that hypertrophy and get a bit stronger to be able to, to move themselves through, through space a little bit easier. Um, you know, for, for health, usually I say four times a week, you want to try to outweigh the days of the week you have off. So seven days in a week, if you train for four, the other three days a week, you have rest days in there or active rest, you're out walking or playing a sport or something like that, then that's cool. Um, but it all depends on your goals and how quickly you want to get there. If you're someone who's like, hey, I want to drop like 100 pounds and I want to do it by, you know, a certain time, there's, there's, you know, general calculations you could do to, to get there and figure out exactly where you are and where you need to be. Um, but with that being said, if you end up, um, yeah, if you end up working out only twice a week, it's going to take you a lot longer to get there than if you do like five days a week. So um, just something to think about. And that's something you could talk to a coach about. If you know, hey, I want to lose 100 pounds, I won't, you know, what is a realistic um, time frame for me to do that if I'm only going to work out three days a week and then if I'm going to follow a certain eating plan, a healthy eating plan that's going to, you know, get me there consistently and, uh, and not have me starve or anything like that. So stuff to think about and uh, yeah, hopefully that helps with that one. I'm just going to reset the camera here. All right, so the next question we got is, what makes a good coach and how do you pick coaches? Um, there's a, several different ways. I, I look for typically good people. 
Um, good coaches, I think, are people who, you know, care, who want to see you get better, who aren't just coming in and checking boxes and, you know, just leading a class through what's on the board. It's giving that extra, it's, you know, showing up, um, making sure that, you know, you know everyone that's in class, introducing yourself to people that you don't know. Um, you know, the, the, the most caring people are usually going to be the, the best coaches. Um, then they might not start off the most technically sound when being able to see things that athletes are doing, but as long as they have that willingness to learn and to, to want to get better and to want to help people and see them get better, um, I find that's, that's extremely helpful. Uh, having people who already know everything, we've had people apply that, you know, have degrees and, um, you know, whether it's kinesiology or AT or whatever, and they want to train people but they've never gone and taken, say, a kettlebell course or an Olympic lifting course or anything like that or don't have those basics, um, I kind of shy away from people like that who already feel like they, they know everything. And just because they have maybe the theoretical knowledge that they've learned in classes, it doesn't transfer over to like, hey, how am I going to teach this 70-year-old how to squat with you know the way they move? Or how am I going to teach someone how to do a kettlebell swing if I've never you know done a... a kettlebell swing before um you know i've i've had trainers in here from other gyms who i'm not crossfit gyms but um trainers come in and they're doing movements completely wrong and they're going and teaching um their clients how to do those movements and it's you know it's something that could potentially injure people and it's something that i'm just very picky about i've gone and you know, done a couple different kettlebell courses, Agatsu and Strong First. And when I was going to do the second one, I had people asking me, like, why, you know, why are you going to learn how to swing a kettlebell again? You know how to swing a kettlebell, all right. And I said, you know what, I could always learn more. And it's not just about swinging the kettlebell. It's there's there are different methods, like Strong First is more of a, a hard style um, kettlebell uh, training. And then the Agatsu is more sports style. And they both have huge benefits when it comes to, to training or to longer workouts or to building strength and power and stuff like that. And um, I thought it was awesome going going to both of them. So, And then even going to different Olympic lifting seminars, going to different coaches and stuff like that. And then some coaches are, are great to, to learn to, from and to, to listen to and to talk to. Um, there's stuff that you can take. There's stuff that you can leave. But I, get, I think the more well-rounded you become as a coach, the more you have a, a critical eye about you know what people are doing, how they're moving, how they're teaching, and then you can go and you know decide what you want to take or you know what you want to leave and stuff like that. So um, it's always good to learn from different coaches, and then you know the better you get as an athlete. I, I think you know having an open mind is uh, is great, and you know my my cup is always half full, so I've always got room to to learn, no matter no matter how long I've been doing this for, and uh, no matter how many people I work with. There's there's always ways that I could probably be doing things better. So, um, yeah, people who are you know people who are just awesome, high energy, um, want to help, don't just want to come in and check boxes. I know I've heard. Um, you know, go for a go for a car ride with someone for a few hours. If you can, you know, handle them for a few hours, then then um, you know they could potentially make a good coach. I would take that a step further and say, make sure they're the ones driving. Make sure it's like rush hour. Um, just see and maybe go out for for lunch with them and stuff, and just see how how they react. If uh, maybe if you know the order doesn't come through correctly, if they're going to freak out on the waiter, if you're they're driving in traffic and they're. Uh, 
and her, you know, whether it's cutting people off or whether someone cuts them off and they, you know, lose it and they start swearing and honking or whatever. It's just, it's interesting to see how people react to that. And if you're like, well, if someone's going to react to that and maybe something happens in class and they're not um, the most cool, calm-headed, per uh, cool and calm person, then, uh, and they start losing it, might not be the, the person that, you know, they want for, you want for a coach. So we've had some people too that have applied as coaches and, uh, you know, I've, I've said that, they might not be ready for it at this time and, you know, hey, there's certain things that you could potentially work on and I'm willing to sit down and talk with you and, and give you recommendations on that. And some of them have just canceled their memberships and moved on, which is completely fine because then you get, you know, a great idea of, of who those people are and what, you know, you might have saved yourself, you know, some some hard conversations down the road and stuff like that. So, um, you know, someone who's always willing to, to learn and to, to take, you know, constructive criticism and stuff like that is, I think, extremely important. Um, yeah, just awesome people. Just people you want to hang out with, people you want to be around. If, if, you know, a coach walks into the room and you're just like, oh, they're here. Um, it's probably someone you don't want on your team, but uh, yeah. I don't know. We've we've got some great coaches here. I'm happy with everyone that we've got, you know, working here. Um, and uh, it's always great getting emails, texts, messages from members and stuff like that, saying, "Hey, like so and so did this or did that." And um, it's it's very cool to see and to hear. And uh, yeah, I'm just proud of our coaches and uh, you know happy with with who we have here. So, um, how long does it take to get good at CrossFit and weightlifting? kind of two separate questions, both of them a long time. Um, if you have a good strength background and good mobility, you'll probably pick this stuff up a lot quicker um, and good body awareness. If you're someone who's terrible with body awareness, has never been in the gym before really, um, it's going to take you a while to, to get good at this stuff. It could take years to get pull-ups. It could take... Um, you know, it, it usually does take years to get good and feel comfortable doing weightlifting because there's always stuff to to tweak and adjust, um, always ways to get better, always ways to move better. And then as the weight gets, you know, heavier, no matter what movement you're doing, you got to still stay dialed in and committed to your technique and make sure that everything is, is moving the way it should. And that's why, you know, having good coaches that'll give you feedback, that'll tell you, Hey, let's take off a little bit of weight, or I know you can do a little bit more weight is, uh, is extremely important. So just having the right person, um, giving you feedback and, and coaching is, I think, you know, the, the main thing and that'll accelerate your progress in both CrossFit and weightlifting. If you're basically just showing up to classes, you're not getting any feedback. It's like, here's the workout on the board to go have at her. Um, I think your, your learning curve is going to be much, much steeper, but if coaches can basically dial it back and make sure that that workout or that exercise feels good for you and works for you when you're moving well, um, or gets you moving as well as possible with the with the the modification, that's going to get you a lot fitter faster, um, and and it'll help you progress a lot quicker in, say the the CrossFit movements and the weightlifting. So, um, to be honest, like I I would say it takes years to get good at it. So it's not something you're going to get good at overnight. It's a tough sell for people who want to get you know fit fast overnight, um, but. Yeah, this is a. It's playing the long game. It's uh, it's taking a longer approach, um, but it's something that you can keep with you. I I love the the CrossFit aspect of of training and being able to go and do anything anytime. Um, you know, right now I could go do a sprint triathlon and and you know 
do okay in it and, and have fun with it. Uh, I wouldn't need to really train for it. Um, you know, just going out on a bike ride and, and hanging out at like 35 kilometers an hour for an hour with a couple of buddies is, is doable as well. And that's with having that endurance background and stuff. I uh, don't ride a whole lot anymore, but everything that we do in the gym, the rowing, the running, the cycling, the lifting, it does carry over. It does, you know, get that fitness level up, which is extremely important. So, um, yeah, be patient with it. Uh, our, our core values here are being are passionate, patient, persistent, and consistent. And that's what we look for when we're trying to, you know, run a program. Is it something that meets that the criteria? And I honestly think that that'll make a good athlete as well. So if you're passionate about what you're doing, then you're going to keep doing it. If you're patient and you know that those gains are coming, you just have to keep doing what you're doing and do it as well as possible. Um, that's going to help. Uh, persistent. Just you know, coming to classes consistently, asking questions, doing what coaches are giving you as, as uh, suggestions is going to be helpful. And uh, passionate, patient, persistent, consistent, and consistent with all those things. So just trying to, trying to you know, not be on for a month and then off for two months and on for a month, you're not really going to see any gains that way. So it takes years. Um, two more. So how many squats did it take you to make that sweet booty? Took a lot, Curtis took a lot. Um, that basically, um, CrossFit booties are built over time. Um, it's funny, had this conversation, I was at a, a bodybuilding show and, uh, one of the, one of the trainers that works with a lot of like the, the fitness people and bodybuilders and stuff like that was like talking about how CrossFit booties are so much nicer than, um, bodybuilding booties and stuff like that. And, uh, it's because we do a lot of squats, we do a lot of lunges, we do a lot of split squats, we do, you know, a lot of variations, kettlebell, like single leg deadlifts, uh, hip hikes with weight, um, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it can, it can take years. Basically, your glutes are the, the biggest muscles in your body. They're very, very powerful uh, muscles. They, they create that hip extension, which is what we want for, for jumping. Um, and, and when we squat, we want to make sure that we are, you know, loading the legs properly, that we are hitting hamstrings and glutes as well, um, as well as quads. But when we are, you know, working on the, that, that booty, when you build muscle, it is going to help to, you know, fill in that back end. And that what, that's what gives you that nice kind of round but um, if you aren't challenging those glutes, if you aren't doing, you know, your squats, your lunges, your bridges, your step-ups, um, your hip hikes, all that kind of stuff to challenge the, challenge the glutes, then, you know, you get what I call is like pancake ass, which is basically kind of that flat back end. And uh, it's very sad because those people always need belts to keep their pants up rather than, you know, just having the, the shape to actually do it. So... Um, I remember an old training client of mine, she had mentioned, she had mentioned something about, uh, you know, she was running up the stairs or whatever. And she's like, how do I get a better butt? And I said, well, we need to get you, you know, squatting a little bit more and making sure that, uh, I'm getting some feedback in here. I said, you got to make sure that you're squatting a little bit more, getting a little bit more out of it. Uh, and I said, it's, it's kind of like you got pancake ass and she's like, what's that? And I said, it's, it's, you know, flat and you know, you, you just need to spend a little bit more time doing work on that. So anyways, um, yeah, it takes years. You just got to keep working on it. Don't stop. Don't stop. Um, last up, how do you train through sickness and injury? 
Um, well, I'll, this is like two questions. So I'll answer them separately. And that should be better. So how do you train through sickness and injury? For me, personally, if I'm getting sick, which I actually was yesterday, wasn't feeling too great at all, took off home early. Um, I just, I didn't do anything yesterday. Today I got back to the gym. Um, I try not to do anything too high intensity. If I do anything high intensity while I'm sick or getting sick, I feel like it just runs me into the ground and it's going to destroy me and it takes a lot longer to recover from. So basically when you're getting sick, your immune system's already compromised. When you're exercising, that causes stress on the body and basically um, more stress on the immune system. And then you have to try to bounce back from that and recover from that, which makes it very, very tough. If you're someone, um, you know, if you, if you are sick, I tend to, you know, gravitate towards like a slower workout. I'll still maybe jump in on class and just like not worry about, you know, how fast I'm moving or if the workout's for time or how heavy it is or whatever. I'll just use it as movement and feel better for moving rather than, you know, trying to compete and do my best. And, uh, and I know that, you know, when you're sick, you're not going to do your best. So you just end up backing off, um, you know, when you start to feel better, I usually take a good few days, maybe three to five days to kind of get back into it and build that intensity as well. So um, sometimes I'll just, you know, take time off completely if I'm really run down and tired um, and, and say burnt out. And then I'll wait until I feel like working out where I'm like, I'm missing it and I'm excited to get back. And then I'll maybe wait one more day and then I'll jump in on something, you know, still keep it low key, just move, have fun with it, just enjoy being back in classes and stuff. And then, uh, and then start turning up the heat a little bit more after that and, uh, you know, just do it gradually. So if I'm sick for like seven to 10 days, it's going to take at least, you know, seven to 10 days to get, get back in the groove afterwards. You're not going to lose everything. Um, but yeah, just kind of go with what your body feels. If you've got like fever and chills and all that kind of stuff, uh, yeah, don't work out, don't train. If it's just a cold and you're like coughing and sneezing and stuff like that, not bad. If you're throwing up and all that, don't don't work out. So just just be smart about it. Um, the training training with injury. Um, I've done that before. I my right femur was snapped in half in motocross years ago, um, and I broke my neck and back rock climbing a decade ago, maybe over, just over a decade ago, and. Uh, yeah, the, the injury part is like you do what you can do. You do the best you can do with what you have. When I had my leg, when my leg was snapped in half, I was in the hospital for three months. Um, had to learn how to walk again and sit and all that kind of fun stuff. When I got uh, to that point, though, when I was able to... Uh, to stand and I was on crutches for seven months after that, I went back to kickboxing and the only thing I could do was use the speed bag. So basically uh, my buddy Kevin was would drive there. He was doing the class. I basically stood in the corner and hit the speed bag for 60 minutes. So I would like stand, I would hit the speed bag, do different drills on it and then sit down on a stool. And then I'd get up and I'd go at it again and sit down on a stool. And you know what? I was just happy that I was able to do something and grateful that I was able to do something. You know, was I in class kicking pads and bags and sparring? No, but I still had the ability to get up, um, you know, go and join them and, uh, and just hit the bag with uh, the speed bag. And, um, you know, I was, I was happy and grateful for that. So um, if there's stuff that you can still do, do it. 
um, when I broke my neck and my back rock climbing, that took a while to recover from. It took almost two years, and there were a lot of setbacks moving back and forth with that. Um, unfortunately, um, well, I would test myself. I would do workouts. I would write everything down, and then um, from there, if something was hurting, if something wasn't feeling good, um, and it was a new exercise that I threw in, I would kind of like mark that as like, hey, this could be you know potentially. Uh, risky, so I would just see how it feels. And some days, you know, I'd, I'd be sore right after and be okay later on. And then other days, I would be um, sore right after and then really sore, like couldn't move the next couple of days. So then it was like, okay, got to take a step back. So um, I was going through athletic therapy at the time at U of W. Seeing an athletic therapist, went and saw a ton of different people for massage, physio, chiro, acupuncture, dry needling, um, all that kind of stuff. And it was AT that actually helped me the best because it was an active approach to recovery. I was doing core work every single day, multiple times a day. I was stretching a lot. Um, my, my hips and my glutes and my lower back and my piriformis and... Um, yeah, I was in a lot of pain. And whenever I decided to like go and challenge myself, I would usually end up getting hurt. So um, the thing that was extremely beneficial was working with uh, machines. Machines helped me a lot during that time because basically they restrict your range of motion. In here, we try to get people to stay away from that stuff, but there is a time and place for it. So if you are injured and you are trying to, uh, to not... Uh, you're, you're trying to move perfectly all the time, the machine allows you to get into and stay in a good position and it doesn't let you to use any momentum um, or you know get out of bad position or get into bad positions and stuff like that. So um, it, it forced me to pay attention to how I was moving all the time. So um, if you are injured, I know some professionals might say, don't do anything, wait until you feel better, wait until you're recovered. Um, in my personal opinion, I think that if you can do something, do it. If you can keep moving and not be in pain, definitely do it. It's going to go a long way. It's going to help you a lot. And um, yeah, I just think that the more you sit sedentary, the less you do, the less you're capable of doing. So um, I was still motivated to, to train and to do stuff through injury. And it's nice to be able to to you know, come out on the other side and be happy that you were able to do something rather than just sit and not uh, not be in a good position to be able to to train and stuff like that. So um, you know, you still get to release those endorphins, you still get to to challenge your body, and you still get to make you know some some forward progress, even though you can't do everything that you you want to do, maybe. But um, that is it for our questions. So. Thank you to everyone who sent some of those in. And um, if you have any more, we'll do this maybe again in a month or something like that. So we'll see if anyone has any more questions to throw out there. And uh, yeah, hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you learned something from it. And hopefully you are a little bit better than yesterday. Thanks for watching, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Better Than Yesterday podcast hosted by Stark Strength and Conditioning and Stark CrossFit. If you or someone you know would be a good guest on our podcast, please reach out to us on social media so we can help share your passion for health and fitness with others. It would be greatly appreciated if you could make the time to head over to the iTunes store and give us a rating. We appreciate your support and feedback, and thank you all for listening.